0: Hello and welcome to GIST Radio. We are a casual radio station where we broadcast when we have something to say. GIST stands for getting the shit together, and we broadcast important interviews and information for artists and creatives of all kinds. For more information on GIST, please log into our website at www.gyst-ink.com, where you will find free resources, software, and publications for artists.
1: You can email us and let us know what you would like to hear about at info at dot com. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, listeners. Welcome to GIST Radio. I'm your host, Cara Tomei, and today I will be talking with Yuval Sharon. He is the founder and artistic director of The Industry. The Industry presents new and experimental productions that merge music, visual arts, and performance in order to expand the traditional definition of opera and create a new paradigm for interdisciplinary collaboration. The company aspires to be regarded on a national level for premiering the most exciting and experimental new work in the country. Although they're only a couple of years old, with the groundbreaking work that they are doing, I believe the industry's aspirations will be fulfilled to be known on a national level, if not beyond, and I'm very excited to talk to you all today about how the industry started, some of their projects, uh, past and upcoming projects, so let me welcome you all to the show now. Hi, Yuval.
0: Hi, Kara. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Looking forward to the conversation. So the industry, what an exciting new company. Of course, I'd like to just dive in and hear about the how and the why of of starting this company.
0: Thank you. Yeah, well, it was, um, you know, it's one of those things where when people see, how far we've gotten in such little time, uh, they always ask me, well, how, does, how did it really get started? And um, I, I tend to like to uh, quote uh, Dao De Ching by saying that, you know, the journey of a thousand steps begins with the ground under your feet. And uh, those first steps, you just have to start uh, somewhere uh, with with a grand vision in mind, but you begin uh, with the, with the smallest steps possible. So that's kind of how we began. By just starting to think about what kind of home for new opera we envisioned, I had been uh, living in New York up until uh, about 2009, um, and had been working at New York City Opera on their New Opera Project Vox. And um, I'd gotten to know so many composers and librettists and uh, American writers that are that are really trying to create a new definition for opera, but didn't necessarily have a home. To, uh, to actually produce their pieces. Uh, Bach and City Opera was more like a concert. And so I started thinking, wouldn't it be great if there was a place for these really radical experiments uh, to really have a home? And at that time, I was also working at um, the L.A. Opera as the assistant director for The Ring Cycle, and I started to get to know L.A. and started to discover what L.A. was about and started to think that the r- amazing qualities that the L.A. audience has to offer makes it the perfect... Uh, the perfect platform to really be exploring these kind of new definitions of opera, and um, so after the Ring cycle was complete, uh, I just de- I basically decided that uh, that that uh, I wanted to build a company, and it was primarily inspired by Anne LeBaron's opera Crescent City, which which I workshopped at uh, New York City Opera and had seen it. Not get picked up by any opera house for full production, and realizing that Anne's vision was so extraordinary and so um, so out of the box that it really needed its own company to to present it, so that it's presented as what it needs to be, uh, not not kind of uh, through the ringer of, of the traditional opera apparatus, but for it to be done on a totally independent level and um, I, I feel like there's in, in Los Angeles and right now in America in general there's real entrepreneurial spirit in the, classical, in the classical music world and that's something that I felt that we could really be a part of by starting a company that's, that's devoted not just to Christmas City that was our first production but also to start thinking about what are future productions, how can we start developing an audience specifically for these experiments and putting new work together.
1: That's um, That's wonderful. <laughs> LA is ha- is happy to have you. Let me just say that <laughs> it, it is incredible. Your first production was such a huge, multi-layered, multi-dimensional, out of the box production. I mean, what a way to kick off a company uh, and and uh, and then a season of works. Because and especially what I find interesting is this combination of opera performance visual art, visuals, etc. I I usually, often I interview visual artists who have started uh, their own collaboratives, organizations, etc. And what really interested me about um, the industry is, of course, it's entrepreneurial and groundbreaking work, but also really that combination of using the visual arts as well to tell the story and to really break boundaries between disciplines. Um I mean we just have to start talking about Crescent City because honestly we could probably talk the entire episode about Crescent City because of how grand scale it was, but I think if we get into some well, of the details, you. yeah, some of the details our listeners will kind of start grasping um what what the industry is all about because it really, you know, alliterated all of your your goals of of having this interdisciplinary uh opera so um so let's talk yeah let's talk about crescent city let me do one thing it's kind of fun to uh talk about accolades let me just read a uh wonderful review or part of it from the la times uh pausing to say you got incredible press from all the major sources in New York Times, Opera Magazine, L.A. Times, all of them raved about Crescent City, and here's one of the raves, and we can kind of use that to to kick off the the conversation about this piece. Uh, So Mark Swed from the L.A. Times wrote, the industry's remarkable Crescent City reshapes L.A. opera. Where to begin? This is an audience member's first of many alluring challenges for taking in Crescent City. LeBaron's opera is the first project of an industrious and potentially groundbreaking new enterprise called the industry. LeBaron's fantastical layering of musical styles and robust vocal writing, Douglas Kearney's potent, oh, sorry, po- poetically rich libretto and great <laughs> cast, and Sharon's compelling direction are what makes Crescent City matter. The industry deserves a very big cheer. So that is a nice way to uh, start off press from the LA Times in your in your, <laughs> your show. Yeah, and, I mean um, you really
0: can't ask for better. It's true. I mean you really. I mean he he's so. Uh, I think, I feel like he really understood what we were going for, and uh, most importantly, one of the things that I that I think that a lot of the critics picked up on, as well as the audiences, was that it was something that was a visceral experience for the audience, but part of its visceral experience was just how challenging. The the piece was this was not easy listening. Uh, Anne's music is pretty it's pretty gnarly. It's pretty difficult sometimes. Uh, it's not always it's not always the easiest because it changes uh, it constantly. And so it keeps, you on your, it keeps you on your toes, or I guess you should say on your ears to a certain extent. But anyway, it, it keeps you engaged in a pretty amazing way. But I, you know, as a, one of the things that we wanted to do was to just keep adding to those layers so that people realize that, that the challenge, being challenged as a viewer, is actually a great pleasure. And I think that that is one of the, the, great, uh, the great opportunities that Opera offers us, uh, especially as so much uh, other media that we are surrounded by these days, it's really about these direct, quick, a Simple communications. Opera is this great space where we can have very layered, very complex interactions, and the interaction between performer and audience um, is is a very rich one. Um, and that that doesn't have to be something that uh, gives you a headache. Um, although I think Crescent City definitely gave some people headaches, but uh, <laughs> but I think it's also something that can can actually be a real pleasure because it helps expand the way that you hear and see and feel and think. And I think that's really one of the the goals of opera. I should say, in relation to the interdisciplinary quality of what we did, I think very much opera is uh, so contemporary as an art form because it really was, to my mind, the very first interdisciplinary art form. We have to sort of go back to uh, the uh, 16th century when opera really began in Italy. And this really radical idea of putting a composer and a poet and someone who designed sets and somebody wasn't yet a set designer, but someone uh, to design sort of sets and costumes, and um, and a choreographer, and put all of these people together without a set, without a set intention necessarily, except to see how all of the arts played with each other and how they interlap with, uh, you know, o- overlapped with each other, I should say, or 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 um, or, or otherwise related to each other. And that is a very radical idea, and that's something that I think is at the core of what opera is, and that's very much what we are after achieving as well with our productions is that kind of uh, embrace of all of the different art forms in a way that that, um, doesn't follow any set models necessarily, but just explores what all of the arts can do to illuminate each other.
1: Let's talk about uh, literally the physical production because I think again we'll get a, mm. the uh, audience will get a visual perception and talk about what you mean when you say having new ways of audience interacting with the piece, et cetera. So um, I, I will say that I had the pleasure of visiting the set of Crescent City as it was being built. Uh, unfortunately, I, I was out of town for the show itself, which I was so disappointed, but I did get to go to, at Water Village in Los Angeles, has a giant warehouse space, which you took over. How many square foot, feet was
0: it? <laughs> the total was 25,000 square feet. The playing space okay, so t- was about uh, 10,000, but there's there's the building itself, including all of our dressing rooms and, and offices and things, uh, added up to about 25,000.
1: Okay, so 10,000 square feet was your stage, which right there is incredible. So you walk in, and one interesting thing is it was in the round. So the audience bought tickets and could either literally walk around throughout the entire show, or they could be seated, and you constructed the sets to be three-dimensional, 360 you know, degrees kind of view. Um, I remember seeing various installations being built, and I would like to point out that what you did is you had a visual artists from Los Angeles, some of them very well-regarded names in the L.A. Mm-hmm. art scene, did their own installation-slash-set piece. I mean, basically creating something that is a visual art piece that, that is also part of the set, and they were all around this 10,000 square feet different areas that the players would interact with, on, under, et cetera. And, um, again, the feet are in the round. And then I saw, of course, a lot of wonderful photos and videos on your website. I urge, of course, everyone to go to your website at some point and, and, and see what you're all about visually. And incredibly dramatic lighting and... Uh, you know so there just visually and again the audience how they were about to react or interact with the piece right there sets a new kind of paradigm so talk a little bit about creating that layer of of the visual yeah. production
0: <clears throat> well thank you that's um um i feel like you really uh, understood exactly what we were after. <laughs> That's really beautiful to hear the description from your point of view. I feel like you could you can describe it just as well as I could. But uh, I'll give you a, uh, I'll give you a, a summary basically of of actually it was so much about process. I mean, a lot of what Crescent City was about was about exploring new ways of creating work, and the process that we set up was working with a curator, my my good friend Brianna Gordon. Uh, who was also one of the six artists that was involved with the production Um, she then brought on board five other artists and they each took a part of the city the opera describes a mythical city it might remind you of New Orleans, but it's not an exact copy of New Orleans, it's, and it's definitely not New Orleans itself, but kind of an abstract New Orleans that is between two hurricanes, one quite disastrous one, and one that really will wipe the city off the map. So the description was a city that was, that was really in a precarious balance and is fighting for its life, so to speak. And um, we wanted to represent that sort of potentiality, which I think the abstraction that visual artists, are so used to thinking uh, thinking with is something that I felt was really appropriate for a visual uh, realization of this work. I also thought that the idea of the piece really is, um, it, it, it actually stems a lot from an idea that Anne LeBaron, the composer, has been teaching at CalArts. It's an idea that she has termed hyper opera. And it's something that in our conversations, I started thinking about how I'd want to take Anne's ideas of, of hyper opera. To a level of production, and hyper opera basically is something that she described as as, as a very non-hierarchical method of, of creating opera. Um, if you look at standard opera, at least uh, you know I described what it was like in the in the 16th century. But if you move forward to the 18th and 19th centuries, you start to see a very hierarchical type of uh, t- type of, uh, of of a working method in which it's the composer and then the librettist. And then the conductor, and then you know the singers, and so on and so forth. Further down is the director, and further down from there is the set designer and costume designer. And Anne has been exploring a way of trying to create a more level playing field in which things feel more collaborative, along the lines of the kind of revolutions you saw in non-musical theater and sort of the, the theater of the, of the 60s and 70s in America, certainly, um, but this idea of a collaborative effort. And that's something that, um, that Anne has been really interested in, and then I wanted to see if we could take it to the next level. And part of my way of thinking of, of how to take this to the next level was to not just have one set designer, but actually let each of the individual uh, stations of the city be designed by a completely independent artist Who would then work in a collaborative way between something that represented his or her own practice as an artist and that also meshed with ideas that would work for the opera. So it was a highly uh, collaborative and an extremely unusual process for everyone involved. And me as a director, I'm more used to working with sort of one set designer and working closely and realizing uh, sort of one vision. But suddenly this became a piece with multiple visions that coexisted simultaneously. And Carol, you mentioned the audience, and from the very beginning, I wanted to create a kind of audience configuration that would let the audience realize that their own highly subjective experience of the opera is something to be prized. It's not something that everyone is going to be seeing the opera in exactly the same way uh, across the board, but in fact, everyone's unique position is going to reveal different layers of information in the opera, of course, but also Encourage an entirely different relationship between that individual spectator and the performance as it's going on. So that's something that is um, that's something that I feel like we wanted to I, I wanted to make that part of the form of the creation of the piece. And so bringing in six different artists, and I should say that we had six different visual artists. We also had one um, a sort of actually a visual artist as well, and also is, is works very 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 often in, in traditional set design who had the very challenging job of trying to pull it all together <laughs> and think about oh, yeah. the spaces in between. So, I mean, it really is more more like seven visual artists that were involved in putting this together. And so, um, and visual artists, again, I mean, for me, the visual artist was important, not just because one of the things that I find so inspiring about L.A. is the visual arts community here, which is, I think, incredibly vibrant and exciting and um, supportive of each other in a way that's really terrific. Um, but I, I was thinking to myself that, to work with uh, to work with that community and bring that community into the opera, I think has a lot of benefits that I, I probably don't even need to to elaborate on. I think they'll they'll be very clear just by saying that. But like I said, one of the things that was exciting for me was giving free rein to the artists in making making these initial ideas as to what kind of uh, what kind of visual. Uh, impetus do they they feel towards this material, towards the music and and towards text. And then we went through the process of uh, making sure that it also worked in terms of performance. Um, And so it was a a really – it was a a highly unusual collaboration, unlike anything I've ever done before. And I think everybody felt basically that way, too. And we were all – really experimenting with a new way of creating a piece and um and i think that for me you know opera is often considered a transformative art form i think that's a buzzword that a lot of people like to use uh that uh, opera's transformative somehow it's gotten that that connotation and i um i only say that because i've often been i've often gone to a performance of the opera and felt very noticeably non-transformed by it and i tried to think to myself why that is, um, not just because of conventions, because once you learn conventions, you can get into to, uh, to all kinds of different approaches to, to pieces. But I thought to myself that if we wanted the audience to really be transformed by the performance that we first had to start by ourselves as artists being transformed by the process. And I think from the very beginning, we started thinking that process as a transformative act is something that we wanted to hold on to. And I think that the end result, um I think the end result really showed what that what that what that could be you know what that's like when different artists all work together from their different points of view to create something singular
1: it absolutely it absolutely worked it it really I feel like looking at uh the pictures and the video and hearing your story, there was one of those magical moments of just everything coming together in this kind of beautiful way that was meant to be. I also think it's wonderful and maybe meant to be that you are bringing opera into new audiences for sure. I mean, even just involving the visual arts and the audience for visual arts in that way brings you a new audience. I mean, let's be honest, opera is in a way a rarefied thing or it's often thought of as this kind of, it has its audience, but it's kind of this audience that's, you know, just for opera. I mean, I myself, I've probably seen Mm, two or three operas in in my life. You know, I'm a cultured person. I go Mm -hmm. to, I was brought up going to museums and shows and plays and a few operas thrown in there, but I wouldn't consider myself (laughs) someone who goes to the opera and seeks it out in terms of traditional, traditional opera and, but this, what you're doing is so beyond that. It is opening up audiences across all sorts of disciplines and ages. I mean, it was exciting and and, and visual, all of those things. Um, You know, it's really you're really doing a wonderful job of placing um, the industry in, uh, you know, a place where you're going to really open up to various uh, new connoisseurs, you know, you can become a connoisseur of new opera. And oh, thank so that you. Is, yeah, that is yeah. wonderful. Let's, I want just like I said, we've, we've gone through um, about half our half our interview uh, talking about Crystal <laughs> City, and uh, like I said, we could probably talk more because it was, oh, yeah. you know such a grand thing but I want to move on to your upcoming production because also it is going to be a a groundbreaking uh Structure. It totally different in a way. It is not massive. It is not grand scale like Crescent City was—ten thousand square feet and you know hundreds of audience members and a hugely long long run, et cetera. Your new project called Invisible Cities is going to be quite different, but very innovative in terms of its presentation. So let's talk about Invisible Cities, which is described on the website as a an invisible opera for wireless headphones, which will take place at Union Station in downtown Los Angeles. So what's an invisible opera?
0: <laughs> That's what we're discovering right now. We still have three months to to go through the process of defining what that is. But in many ways, uh, figuring out what to do after Christmas. It was very much a response to what Crescent City was about. Crescent City was this overwhelming visual field. Uh, the six visual artists. There was, of course, also a lot of video, which we which we didn't discuss, but it was another whole layer that was part of the the the, the production. Um, you know, there and music being very loud, very uh, wild and fantastical. Um, I wanted to make sure that what what we did at the second major production. Um, would be as different as possible from Crescent City, not because I don't believe in what we did in Crescent City, but more because the field of opera, I think, is a very, very wide one. And I think it's important that a company uh, like the industry is constantly saying that opera is a limitless field. I mean, it's a, it's a limitless horizon. And there are so many different potential definitions of opera and um the 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 way though that we are approaching the 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 process is, is actually in many ways very similar it 's also uh highly collaborative uh, with lots of disciplines. This is a, a co production with the l a dance project benjamin new miltier 's company so this is um in this case where we have visual artists this time we have dancers and, and, and choreography and dance so we've got uh, we 've got that interdisciplinary approach to it, but I wanted to do something that that maybe visually was going to be. Um, quite different, and so we started thinking about what what what, what that might mean. Um, it's uh, you know it's, it's a lot of little steps that led us to get to the place where we decided on this production. But the, the core of it is it's going to be Christopher Saron's uh um composition, Invisible Cities based on Italo Calvino's book of the same name. It's another opera that I also workshopped at New York City Opera and fell in love with and thought, well what this what this piece really needs is a a, a non traditional kind of production. It's not a standard narrative. If you if you know the book you would know that this is a this is uh this is not a story that necessarily lend itself to pictorial representation too easily. It follows Kublai Khan and Marco Polo having a dialogue about the cities in Kublai Khan's empire. And uh, the cities that Marco Polo describes are all very fantastical cities that that clearly don't exist. But they become these kind of visions of the, the interior life of Marco Polo and then because of that also Kublai Khan and more importantly the reader. And we start to realize that our, uh, the cities that we live in are really very much a reflection of who we are, and perhaps that that external world is really so imbued with our subjective internal reality that we might not be able to tell the difference all the time. That's one of the great things about reading the book and um, it's a great, it's a, it's a book that architects love uh, <laughs> because it's so much about the potential within cities uh, and the, the way that people interact with their environment in, in a way that's, that's very, very powerful. But it's uh, Christopher Saron's approach, um, you know, he, he, you would imagine a lesser composer would have, you know, described the various cities and you see the residents in each city and you'd see those lights in each city, and each one might have a slightly different musical vocabulary. It might be kind of potpourri like, in which you know um, one city might be uh, might be uh, you know an Argentinian tango, and the next might be uh, a mariachi band, and the next would be a string quartet, or something kind of simple and simplistic and not very interesting like that. But Chris's approach is much more on the on the sort of macro level, in which it's an incredibly meditative and very very quiet. And personal experience. And from the beginning, I thought this is this is a piece that you want to hear with the intimacy of as if it's being whispered in your ear. And at that point, um, it just so happened that sound designer um, Martin Jimenez, who did sound for Crescent um, City, uh, we started talking about different ideas for future productions. And he had uh, met, he had uh, mentioned that working with headphones was an interest of his. And both of us had seen. Uh, productions that used headphones, but we thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting to do a live performance with headphones? Um, Martine's first response was to do it in some place like the Getty Villa or something where they already have this kind of system um, for uh, for moving through a space with headphones, the kind of thing that you see in in art museums. But I was more interested in a kind of a public space or a space in which this would be um, an unusual experience be walking around and, and hearing a, a life or something that's happening. And more importantly, I was really interested in what would happen in blurring the line between this high culture of opera and everyday life, and in a way that would seem as imperceptible as possible. And so, uh, to make a long story short, as usual, when you say that, it's too late. But in any case, uh, <laughs> to, to, to summarize, uh, we got to the point where, we, where I realized that this particular opera, Chris's opera about... Uh, about this um, this very meditative, um, this medita- very contemplative look at the internal life of each and every citizen of the city would be so perfect to be done in a place like Union Station, with the singers and dancers inter, you know, in- intermingling with the general life of the station um, in a way that only the people that are clued into the performance via headphones would notice. So all of the singing is very, very quiet. All of it is incredibly subliminal, and it's happening while the station is in operation. And all of it is happening live, and all of it being heard via wireless headphones. The orchestra is um, in another building. It's in, for those people that know the uh, Union Station, that's, there's a beautiful pavilion that's uh, called Harvey Restaurant. Um, it's now used primarily for weddings and for special events. Um, but that's where we'll put our live orchestra. And the audience will be invited to wander freely and we'll be searching for these singers and dancers. It's something that uh, will probably feel almost more like a sound installation rather than a more traditional opera. Um, but because of, again, using using dancers and using, um, using that element and having them move through this, these entire spaces of Union Station, I think is... Uh, for me, it seemed like the perfect follow-up after Crescent City.
1: Um, it, yes, it sounds it sounds incredible. It sounds incredible. So, just to clarify, though, so all of the live music will be in another place, not in the main part of Union Station, and the audience members will have headphones and they will, like you said, be wandering freely while listening to the singing, and then you say there will be some dance uh, going on in, in different yeah. areas of the station that the audience yeah. will come upon or search for?
0: Well, the singers actually, uh, the, the musicians, I mean, I'll just clarify that the musicians are actually in the Harvey restaurant, but the singers are far away from the orchestra. The singers are moving through the space along with the dancers and along with the audience. Um so um so that singing is happening within the the sort of i guess you can call it the performance space of the of the opera um so they're they're kind of uh, all over the space along with the dancers, and you, as an audience member will then be hearing their voice, but they might they might be they might be uh, in an entirely different room, they, or they might be right next to you.
1: <laughs>
0: no, I think it's going to be, again, it kind of in a way follows along the lines of the audience relationship to Crescent City, in which I really wanted the, the subjectivity of the audience member to be really radicalize. Um, no two people are going to even see the same thing in this, in this production in any way. Um, you know, it, Depending on where they're standing or sitting in any of the given rooms of the playing space, they're going to have an entirely different encounter with this opera. Um, They may, for example, you know, only follow Marco Polo and might not see Kublai Khan until the very end, um, in which case they might think that Kublai Khan is uh, a recorded voice or they might think Kublai Khan doesn't exist and only lives in Marco Polo's imagination, which is a layer of the book that I find really quite beautiful and and something that we can then make quite literally and very physically in the space uh, realizable for the audience.
1: So the general population coming through union station will also encounter some of this as well
0: yes and that's going to be a really that's going to, obviously for me that's one of the most exciting parts about this production <laughs> is yes. the interaction with the general public because and that's because, because that is something i can't possibly uh control um or um or predict so this is going to be something that will be We'll, uh, we'll make every performance radically different just for the just for the fact that there is uh, that there is actually really a cast of uh, potentially thousands, depending on who visits the station during the seventy minutes of the performance. Um, right. I'm i I'm curious.
1: So. To, I'm sorry, yeah. just curious to ask about um, was it was it easy to get permission from Union Station to do this production? What was that like about approaching the higher ups there and getting them to agree to let you do this?
0: It's a it's a process. It's definitely a process. Uh, I'm really excited though that the you know the the people at the very top at Metro are are thrilled about this idea and um, see it as something that really celebrates the station and and that is another element of what this whole production is about. The reason why Union Station is so perfect for it is imagining being there for 70 minutes. I mean there's. How many architectural gems in the city can you say that of, that it will be a pleasure to be there for 70 minutes and to be experiencing it in this way? Um, it's, It's such a glorious building. And something that does feel like it sits right at the heart of the life of the city and the history of the city, um, and because it's uh, it's just about to celebrate its seventy fifth anniversary, now is the perfect time to be doing this this project. Um, they have big plans for the seventy fifth anniversary um, at Metro of the, of the station. Um, that's going to be in May of, of um, uh, May of four of two thousand fourteen. Uh, next May. Um, And that's, again, really, really celebrating what the station meant to the city. And there's, there's, the Getty is doing an exhibit about this. I mean, it's, it's really something that I think our timing uh, is, is really perfect because I think Union Station is really, it's something, it's a a place that everyone who's been there falls in love with immediately. And I think it's just on the, on the brink of becoming, of becoming once again, that kind of central hub for, uh, for Los Angeles life
1: right another uh, fortuitous moment of things coming together right, for your company uh, at this the um <laughs> the stars are aligning for for uh for the industry for sure speaking of the stars aligning i wanted to just congratulate you on the success of your kickstarter campaign um you Thank raised you. Ch- close to $28,000 on kickstarter for invisible cities that is a really wonderful feat so again a congratulations Thank you. for that um, you know, Thank crowdsourcing. You crowdsourcing seems like the you know perfect thing for adding into your repertoire because it's all about audience participation, and and the industry mm-hmm. is doing you know so many different levels of you know get having people be invested in more than just you know passive passive receiving but actually actively being right. part of it and even in invisible cities almost creating the work as well i'm I'm so excited yep. for that piece and um i'm gonna Thank have you. to quickly get my ticket because i have i've it says limited limited tickets how many <laughs> audience members will participate for each show how many tickets well, will be available for each show
0: well we have um we have about 125 headphones for each performance um okay. and we we are going to do we are going to do and that's actually somewhat conscious too because we don't want the stations to be overwhelmed with uh, with people with headphones we'd like to keep it as uh, again as imperceptible as possible so we wanted to keep the number uh the number down as much as possible, um, but we are going to be doing performances at 7:30 and 10 o'clock on almost every performance date, and the 10 o'clock performance will be cheaper so that there's so we have that access uh, for people that are that will be experiencing hopefully will be experiencing opera uh, for the first time. But um, you know one of the things we learned at Crescent City was that a low ticket price. Actually, really did bring in a brand new audience. I mean, it shouldn't really come as a big surprise to anybody. But uh, but the idea that people could still have a really great experience at the opera without paying an enormous amount is, I think, something that helped people take a chance on um, something that might otherwise scare them because of what you described earlier as opera's um, potential deficits uh, from from how we from how we might see, how we might be prejudiced about it. Um, so that's something that is important for us again. Uh, for invisible cities too, uh, the, 730 show, um, the 7.30 show and 10 o'clock show will be uh, separately priced. And we'll also do, uh, on, for the t- our Tuesday performances, uh, we're going to do $25 Tuesdays in which every headphone for both performances will be $25. So those are ways in which we are uh, encouraging new audiences to come and see what we're doing.
1: Well, you certainly are encouraging uh, collaborations, new audiences, and I encourage everybody to go to uh, your website, which is theindustryla.org, and ex- look at some of these images of Crescent City and see what you're up to. Also, they can get tickets for Invisible Cities through the website. I've enjoyed our conversation. We could probably go longer, but I'm going to end it here and just urge people <laughs> to uh, to support the industry because you really are doing a, a wonderful Wonderful job of groundbreaking uh, new opera in this city of Los Angeles. So, I thank you for being my guest, Yuval. As well, thank, I thank you for inviting me, and
0: in. thank you so well, much for the invitation welcome. and for your encouragement and excitement about about this work. It's really it's really great.
1: Absolutely, I, the the no, no thanks are needed, and I do <laughs> thank people for listening to just. Re-